Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, this is certainly different. Very different. Very feels, different. Feels a lot less anxious in the room. A lot more hair. A lot of luscious hair on this the episode. Hair, the hair uh, per 60 is high on this episode. The witty remarks per 60 way down though. So we're going to have to try and uh, step up our game there a little bit. Just the two of us. Yeah, the effort level per 60 between the two of us is going to have to increase dramatically in Ryan's absence. Me in particular, I'm doing my best. Ryan will be proud of me because I actually have a Google Doc notebook open right now with a bunch of notes about, you know, the itinerary for the show, what to talk about, uh, some analysis from the games uh, over the past week. So I'll have to save it and print it out and he can put it on his fridge when he gets back. My laptop's positioned in a way where it's not super conducive to actually use while recording. So I've got about nine tabs of stuff open on my phone, uh, most of which Ryan sent us because uh, even though he is on a nice, relaxing vacation on a beach with a drink in his hand somewhere, he's still sending show notes and <laughs> everything. So nobody can ever accuse him of not being on the ball. Yes, the effort is always there, uh, but he has let the monkeys run the circus for at least two episodes. So uh, it's in our hands and we'll see where things sort of go this week. Yeah, we are remote because uh, we obviously are not going to be breaking into Ryan's house. So if anybody is wondering why the audio might sound a touch different, that is why. Uh, the production quality might be a touch below what it normally is, but the hockey opinions will be much stronger this episode content will have never been better but the uh the editing and uh the the showmanship maybe not so much that's where ryan really excels yeah and he's great at the segues intros and i'm not so on that note welcome to the ryan free edition of the winged wheel podcast i am one of your hosts brad crisco and i'm evan and it is now my duty to tell you that WWP night with the Grand Rapids Griffins is on January 27th, 2024. For those wondering, a new batch of tickets and hats has just been released, but they are selling out fast. Go to griffinshockey.com slash WWP to get your tickets today. I don't have the exact numbers for how many are left. Ryan keeps track of that, but there are a few more available, but not many. At this event, there will be a live show featuring Dan Watson and Griffins players before the game. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to get a limited edition Grand Rapids Griffins and Winged Wheel Podcast co-branded hat. Again, griffinshockey.com slash WWP for details and tickets makes a great early Christmas gift. And it makes an excellent fashion statement when you are the backup goalie for the Grand Rapids Griffins on your road trip in Toronto. Thanks to my buddy Matt for getting a video of Sebastian Cosa wearing our hat from the bench last night. Yeah, that was wild. I uh, did not expect to see that, but it's good to see uh, Cosa's rep in the Dub Dub Club. I, I got a good laugh out of that because he sends me a video on Insta and I haven't talked to him for a month or two. So it was out of the blue. He's like, I knew that logo looked familiar and he's standing behind Cosa zooming in on the on our logo on the side of his head. So it's cool to see he's actually repping it a full month and a half before the event. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess everybody's excited, not just us on this one. So on that note, uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, we are going to be covering the Red Wings two games since Sunday's episode was pre-recorded. We have not yet discussed the Montreal game on Saturday. We will also be covering the Sabres game from yesterday. Uh, we have gotten news that Patrick Kane will be making his debut with the Detroit Red Wings tomorrow against the San Jose Sharks at home against the San Jose Sharks. We'll discuss the Red Wings' current playoff status, the special bobblehead that the Red Wings uh, announced that they're going to be releasing for Jake Wallman. And we're going to be covering some news from around the NHL, some news coming out of the Board of Governors meeting, their plans for the NHL draft, which we hypothesize that is now a reality. And I'm sure we'll discuss many ways the NHL could bungle that. So let's jump in. Saturday, the Red Wings, Hockey Night in Canada, Montreal Canadiens in the great province of Quebec. Evan, I know you're a big fan. 
The Wings walk away with a 5-4 overtime victory by the skin of their teeth. The game started off great. The Red Wings dominated the first two periods. Fell asleep in the third period, recovered in overtime. Evan, have we seen this script before? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anyone has any strong opinions on the games we're about to cover in this episode. Um, so we can probably just sum it up, summarize them all in uh, one short sen- sentence. Red Wings come out strong, look good, blow lead, make everyone nervous. It's their calling card. It's You can take it two ways, and we've talked about this a million times. It's good that the Red Wings are establishing dominance on a bunch of these weaker teams, but the recurring theme of being unable to actually hold the pedal down for 60 minutes is a problem. Montreal is an inferior team to the Red Wings significantly. The Red Wings proved that in this game. This game should have never went to overtime. Why is it, you know, because we've been complaining about the same issue since the Blash Hill era, and we're in year two with the loan, and it still creeps in over and over and over again. And spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the same issue in the sa- with the Sabres. What is it that's causing the Red Wings to constantly have nightmarish third periods, but only when they're holding the lead? Yeah, it's, uh, you know... Is it really just human philosophy and human nature that you take risks when you aren't winning? You know, it, what, what's the worst thing you can do? Lose the game? It's you know, The Red Wings look like the superior team for the majority of that game until they needed to close out the game. Um, maybe they become risk adverse when they've got the lead going into the third period. I'm not sure, but it's uh, the same script keeps playing out uh, game in and game out when the Red Wings do have a comfortable lead. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone now that that this is a reoccurring theme. Well, let's start from the beginning in this game now that we know what the overarching theme is. The game, as I mentioned, started off great with Joe Valeno getting one in his home province near his hometown to start the game on a broken play. It was a good cycle by the Red Wings, but a broken play that ended up on his stick back door for an easy one-timer into the empty net. Followed by a short-handed Christian Fisher goal on a series of events that comical of nature where Michael Rasmussen gets a breakaway, tries to shove it through the goalie, can't find it. It's literally just sitting there in the crease, but good on Christian Fisher for keeping his feet moving, following the play and tapping it into the empty net. Daniel Sprong gets one with only 40 seconds left in the period to extend the Red Wings lead to 3-0 and go into intermission with a 3-0 lead. Not so fast. Justin Barron gets one with seven seconds left. Because as good as the Red Wings were that period, they can never let us feel fully comfortable. Going into the second period, Yoel Armia, shorthanded goal. 3-2, but Alex Debrinkit on a beautiful pass from Moritz Sider. Hits a one-timer from a bad angle, banks it in off Jake Allen to restore the Red Wings' two-goal lead. That's kind of becoming a signature cider play. You don't see many primary assists on one-timers from the top of the key on the power play, but Sider's done that a few times now this year. And I don't know if this is a set play, but there, it's certainly a different look because when that lane opens up, he's trying to find it regularly. Is this... I don't know, the maturing of Mo Sider on the blue line, at least from his offensive instincts, or is this more of a set play you think they're trying to run? I don't know if it's a set play or just a set move that Moritz Sider has because he kind of gets the the D's the D zone coverage moving the other way. And he kind of feigns like he's going the other direction with the puck. And then all of a sudden the lane opens up and there it goes right to Debrinkit for a you know pretty easy goal because he got everybody going the wrong way i don't think it's a set play but man is it super effective but it all happens because moritz sider is so deceptive at the top of the the blue line and there's few players in the league like alex Debrinkit willing to take a one one timer from damn near the goal line and we respect him for it yeah so the red wings enter the second intermission with a 4-2 lead and i don't know about you but i'm gonna make the safe assumption 
99.9% of Red Wings knew this game was far from over. Despite the score, despite their opponent, despite how well they played. This was going to be an adventure. And sure enough, four minutes in, Nick Suzuki gets one on the power play. Really nice shot. I don't want to fault Huso on that one. It's one of those ones, it's understandable it beat him. But you would like him to make that save every once in a while. Track the puck through traffic a little better. But it wasn't the end of the world type of goal. But now it's 4-3. And there's still 16 minutes left. And because, of course, four minutes left in the game. Defensive zone breakdown. And who else but Gustav Lindstrom ties the game for Montreal. Statistically speaking, by most analytic models, one of the worst defensemen in the NHL this year, but he is a former Red Wing, so you knew he was going to find a way to tie that game. He has three goals on the season now, too. So, uh, yeah, the script writers are certainly getting lazy this year. And with all these comeback games and you got Gustav Lindstrom scoring against his former team, like I need some better source material at this point. This was also one of those moments, too, where I circle back to an absolutely atrocious power play the Red Wings had in the third period, where they had the opportunity to really cement the game away, or at least, you know, not make it this much of a roller coaster. And they got nothing going. And it felt like that was a huge momentum swing to Montreal. And at no point in the rest of the game did Detroit feel in control. At least no point in regulation. Lindstrom ties it. The Red Wings hold on, get to overtime, and you know, you're always happy when you get at least a point, but the way that game went, they needed to. It would feel like a massive letdown if they didn't get two. Well, shortly into overtime, Jake Wallman calls the old, game. The uh underappreciated clap bomb, followed by the gritty, and every Red Wings fan could go to sleep happy. Yes, the NHL social media literally blew up again because Jake Wellman hits another gritty on a slap shot in Montreal. Yeah, and then uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it shortly. The bobbleheads coming out, uh, the gritty bobbleheads. So, you know, all in all, when you take a holistic view at this game, the Red Wings escape with two points. You hate giving a team like Montreal a point to make them feel like they had a chance, you know. You're never going to be all that upset about two points, but uh, when the next game happens and the similar patterns appear, I think that's when you start to draw a pause on, on something. So, you know, for me, two points is two points. The Red Wings are certainly keeping above pace in the Atlantic division. Can't be all that upset about the game of Montreal. Yeah, the two positive, well, the biggest positive spin I'll, I'll make on this game is that the Red Wings fell asleep at the wheel for 20 minutes and still won. Yeah. Which, which again, is something very dramatically different from how the last seven years of Detroit Red Wings hockey have gone. They were such a poor team that 10 minutes of taking the foot off the gas usually resulted or almost guaranteed a loss. Hell, there were a lot of games where 60 minutes of foot on the gas still resulted in a loss. So, the fact that the Red Wings are having these collapses still, but still pulling W's at the end of it is a huge sign of the improvement of the team as a whole. Like This is a team that is now finding ways to win despite itself versus finding ways to lose games like this over and over again in previous years. But I want to make one more point, and this is an important point, and I was not going to let this go. The Gritty. All Red Wings fans love when Jake Wallman does the gritty or whatever that viral dance he did against Boston was. And fans and grown adults of 31 other fan bases hop in the Twitter thread, Facebook, Instagram to comment cringe. Seen that word so damn much after the gritty, just how cringe it was. And this is a point I've made on other topics in the NHL in the past, specifically about guys like Trevor Zegras, but it applies here. There are certain things in the game of hockey that are not for us. And by us, I mean grown-ass adults. 
Am I ever going to hit the gritty in my life? I promise you I am not. How much for you to hit the gritty in real life? 10 grand to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. I didn't think there'd be that many zeros, but good for you. You have no idea how poor my dancing skills are in general. We would. I'm right there with you. I'm right and I would have you. to live with that clip for the rest of my life. So it needs to be a substantial donation. Fair enough. But I understand stuff like the gritty are not for me. They're not for you. They're not for a majority of, I think it's funny and I, I, I love it when it happens in the game. But you know what happened on Sunday morning after the game? We're watching the highlights. I'm watching it with Hank. 18,000 kids just started grittying in their living room. Exactly. I was watching the highlights with Hank and Mika while we were eating our breakfast. I point to Mika, hey, make sure you don't miss this. She watches it, sees him do the gritty again. She's losing her mind for five minutes. Coolest thing ever. Absolutely loves it. Goes to practice a couple hours later, and it's all she's talking about with her teammates. Some things are meant for kids' entertainment and I don't know if that's why Wallman was doing it, but for the sport as a whole, it's a good thing. So even though you don't like it, doesn't mean your kid doesn't like it. And just always keep that in the back of your mind when you see dumb stuff like that. I can't believe people bring those kinds of comments on the internet and post them on Twitter. I can't (laughs) believe that it happens. (laughs) Even though, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, like. I had this revelation when it came to the All-Star game, maybe all of, while we've been doing the podcast, I've come to the realization that, you know, some things in the All-Star game just aren't for me and almost all of it is not for me anymore. Um, so if Jake Wallman wants to hit the gritty, I'm all for it. You know, at the end of the day, it's an entertainment product. If I'm entertained by the outcome of the game, I'm not going to let a goal celebration uh torture me and send me to twitter to to yell about it so i think it's great you know like i said not for me but it's entertaining you know it's for the kids the kids love it i'm all here for it there's too many goal celebrations that aren't celebrated so the more we have of this the way the the better it is in my opinion it's a game it's literally meant to be fun that is the point yeah exactly and then the overarching theme of this episode continues in Buffalo, which is dominant game followed by scary as hell third period. So no need to repeat the overarching theme, but we will run through this game because there were a lot of interesting things that happened this game. And one of them that I definitely want to talk about is the first goal of the game where Lucas Raymond puts the puck in front to Dylan Larkin, who one times it high glove on a beautiful shot. Two things to talk about on this goal. First of all, was it out of play? Did it hit the netting? Shades of Todd Bertuzzi. Buffalo looked like they really wanted to challenge it. And the way all the players on the ice reacted, my gut feeling is it hit the netting. And my gut feeling is Buffalo didn't challenge it because there was no good camera angle of it, or at least they couldn't get one quick enough to be able to challenge it. Cause you know, we've, when you see three, four guys on the ice all react the same way from both teams, it's probably a pretty safe assumption that thing went out. Yeah, I would assume there was no conclusive evidence. And it's also really hard to pick up pucks when the seats are blue. Like, if you ever played at an arena that has blue seats and you just flip the puck above, like, the dashers, it is impossible to see where that puck went. So to pick that up on camera and, you know, challenge it or have feel confident in your challenge, I can understand why maybe they didn't uh, pull the trigger on that one. Did you just solve why they put black seats in the LCA? Uh, hey, I want them to go back to red so bad after being in Sweden. Well, at least uh, if the Red Wings get any hometown bounces in a similar way, we'll know why. Exactly. But what I want to talk about on this goal is... I don't think people appreciate enough how ridiculous this shot by Dylan Larkin was. This was a, I don't know what to call it, knuckler, floater. Raymond couldn't get it to Larkin cleanly, so it had that rainbow arc of a pass and landed right in front of Dylan Larkin. And instead of trying to corral a bouncing puck or a soon-to-be bouncing puck, it hadn't even bounced yet. He decides he's going to time 
his, you know, little one-timer, because he didn't have a full backswing on it, with when the puck landed on the ice, and not only did he hit it, it was a missile over Comrie's glove. The difficulty level on that play is an 11 out of 10. Yeah, the fact that he was able to get any wood on that at all was pretty wild. And I haven't seen, I was trying to pull the highlight up while you were talking. To, I was I was looking for the slow-mo and maybe I zoomed in to see if that was that puck was on edge and he hit it like on the face rather than the, the rim of the puck. Because uh, that might explain why he was able to get so much velocity out of that shot. But yeah, that's a, that's a real hockey enjoyer's goal. That's for sure. That is the type of goal where if I tried it. That would have been 18 rows into the Woodstock arena. Oh, I wish. I am completely whiffing on that puck and somehow ending up on my ass. Yeah. A a hundred out of a hundred times. There's no chance I'd ever score on that. But it was a one nothing lead for the Red Wings. And then Mr. On Fuego himself. Robbie Fabry, all the man does is score goals and get injured. So in between injuries right now, all he's doing is scoring goals. Makes it 2 nothing on a scramble in front of the Sabres net that they defend poorly, which was, again, a theme of the Sabres season. And he chips it over Eric Comrie to make it 2 nothing. I can't wrap my head around this. He's up to eight goals in 12 games. That's nuts. This man can't stop scoring. What what does that work out to over an 82-game season? That is an insane pace. Just doing the math quickly here. That's a 55-goal pace. Imagine if he didn't get hurt how much money he would be making. If, is if, this how the Reds win the Stanley it. Cup? <laughs> yeah, holy crap. These are the exact type of guys you need to catch fire to, to win series and chase a Stanley Cup. Robbie, literally Johan, Franz, and Fabry. Yeah, exactly. No, it was a uh, you know it was a, a nice play. I think it was Goss's bear on the point. He, you know, got once again got the the D to the defensive zone players to move a different direction. Was able to get that high low play. I think maybe to Perron. Um, and there was Fabry uh, Johnny on the spot, and he was a when you're when you're hot, you're hot. Those things go in. So uh, a nice little play from that line. And then the Red Wings take that 2 nothing lead into the second period, where five minutes into that second period, they get a power play, and our large German son fires an absolute rocket into the top corner over Eric Comrie. Fourth goal of the season all of a sudden for Mo Sider, who I don't know if I'm the only one who's noticing it or... You know, maybe it's just me being optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. He looks a hell of a lot more like Moritz Sider over the last couple of weeks. One more goal than Gustav Lindstrom on the season. So take that with uh, with a little grain of salt. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was a great play because Fabry was the guy low there. And everybody thinks he's going to shoot, drags everybody down. And he just puts like that soft pass back to Moritz Sider. And it's basically like the all-star game hardest shot at that point. He absolutely let that thing go. And there is no way Comer was stopping that because it was a rocket. But yes, uh, to be more serious, I think Moritz Sider is really coming into his zone now. Uh, Looks a lot more confident on and off the puck and... We knew it would just be a matter of time. It's not this, oh, is Moritz Sider never going to return to the Calder caliber, caliber type player? Um, we He always sort of finds his way as the season progresses. And then shortly, not shortly, eight, nine minutes after, something like that, the true sign of how this game's going to this point, two Buffalo Sabres defensemen on transition find themselves on the same side of the ice, three feet apart, which leaves Michael Rasmussen to walk in all alone and slide it five hole very easily on Eric Comrie to make it four nothing for his third goal of the year. So hopefully this is maybe the one that gets him going because he's not been great this year. And every time you see a guy who's in a bit of a funk, have a pretty nice goal like this. You hope it's what gets him going. You could 
certainly see the sigh of relief on his face after he did score. So I am hoping the same thing because I think uh, the three of us probably said at the start of the year, this may be the Rasmussen breakout season because he's going to be on the wing with better, more competent players. Hasn't really looked that way. So it's nice to see him get one. Um, But it was also nice to see that my beer league defensive partners got their uh, NHL reps in that game because that was a big woof you know there's thing there's always narratives about why does a team as talented as buffalo not rocket up the standings like everybody predicted them to and then you watch a goal like that and it all starts to make sense yeah not great air Comrie had what like 16 shots at that point and four are now in the net um yeah, not a good look for Buffalo so far this year, but hey, I'm not going to cry for uh, other teams in the Atlantic. And then just as the Red Wings were about to enter the second intermission with a 4 nothing lead. Tell me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> but one minute left in the second period, Rasmus Dahlin, which, you know, if you let Rasmus Dahlin score, understandable. But he gets a power play goal with a minute left, and now it's still 4-1. And thank God we're not the Leafs because we didn't have to hear the memes all second intermission. But it's 4-1 going into the third period. And once again, I'll repeat, 99.9% of us are watching this game, watching the Red Wings dominate, watching how bad Buffalo looks, going, I'm not comfortable yet. This game's far from over. Casey Middlestat, 4-2. Jeff Skinner, 4-3. After that Jeff Skinner goal as well, a couple point-blank chances for Buffalo followed. Alex Lyon, who we haven't even mentioned yet, stands tall after having a pretty good game and is able to weather the storm until Larkin puts in the empty netter with about 45 seconds left for a Detroit Red Wings 5-3 win, capping a 2-for-2 that we get to recap without Ryan. Always fun to recap. Always fun to recap wins, even more fun to not share it with Ryan. Well, you definitely fast-forwarded through the pain that the Red Wings and Red Wings fans were feeling in the third period of that game. Uh, So some people will be very happy about that. But as a podcast, we should probably cover it a little bit. Um, I did not like... The middle stack goal was exceptionally bad because you saw a little shades of Buffalo defense in the Red Wings. They had a chance there to get the puck out. There was three of them basically across the blue line. They didn't get it out and that zero effort to get the puck back. You know, people will talk about, you know, let, how do we get or how do the Red Wings get to a point where they're giving up or no lead feels safe and stuff like that? It's, it's turnovers at your blue line or the, the other team's blue line that really, you know, set you back. You know, teams who come in transition the puck really well we'll we'll capitalize on that and for me the middle stack goal was just case in point like you if you are leading in an nhl hockey game hell any hockey game i'd yell at my beer league team members for this if you turn the puck over at your own blue line when you could have just softly got the puck out you're gonna give up goals and the red wings cannot be doing that if they want to be a playoff caliber team consistency 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 it's why the Bruins are who they are this year even losing Krejci and Bergeron because they never lose the fundamentals battle rarely they very rarely lose the fundamentals battle they don't beat themselves you have to have a hundred percent effort and a hundred percent execution to beat the Bruins most of the time and the Red Wings aren't there yet Obviously, the Red Wings aren't there talent-wise with a lot of teams in this position. And, you know, we use the Bruins for the hallmark of this constantly. And I know it's annoying. And trust me, I hate saying it. But there's a reason why everybody predicted the Bruins' regression year after year after year. And it never happens because they don't do this to themselves. And the Red Wings have improved on talent. The Red Wings are speed-bagging teams that they should be speed-bagging. But not for 60 minutes and... Evan's exactly right, and that's a great point. Dumb stuff like that in a 4-1 game allows a bad team like Buffalo to crawl back into it needlessly. Because if Middlestat doesn't score that goal, the rest of that game has a completely different inflection because you're going into the last 10 minutes down three. Not many teams on the planet are going to think they have a chance in that scenario no matter who they're playing. And not to uh, 
not to belittle Casey Middlestat, you know, he's not an all-star level NHLer at this point in his career. Like you do those sorts of things against the perennial contenders, the the Bostons, the Tampas, Colorado, Vegas, like they would they would bury a team like a Red the Red Wings if they made those mistakes. So, you know, if the Red Wings are wanting to be a threat in the playoffs, like those are the sorts of things they need to find figure out. But, you know, the saving grace here is it's still relatively early in the season. We're still in 2023. There's lots of time to correct those sorts of things. Um, you just got to see them, I hope. <laughs> well, when it was all said and done, four points against two Atlantic Division teams that were chasing them, which this was the first game where I really I've been keeping my eye on the standings for obvious reasons, because the expectation is, you know, battle for a playoff spot so it's been refreshing for the first time in years to actually give a crap about where the red wings are in the standings at any given point without flipping them upside down i didn't realize how split the atlantic division is already getting because at the beginning of the year we all know what the narrative was which one or two of detroit buffalo and ottawa were gonna take a step Detroit's already played Ottawa a couple times. I think they got three out of four points from them off the top of my head. That might not be exact. And this was their first look at Buffalo. And they beat them, again, for the most part, pretty soundly. And then I check. Buffalo's got two games in hand on Detroit. And the Red Wings are nine points ahead of them. Ottawa's got four games in hand on Detroit. But Detroit's got an 11-point lead. The Red Wings, as we are speaking right now, sit alone in second place in the Atlantic Division by points and points percentage. So not only are they in a playoff spot right now if the playoffs started today, which is dumb to say in December, but it's fun to say, they'd have home ice advantage against the Florida Panthers. Yeah, it's because Boston, Detroit, Florida, as we all projected at our uh, preseason preview, Um yeah, it, when I woke up this morning and I looked at the standings as well, I was slightly surprised to see how much of a gap is developing in the Atlantic. I was, you know, it, it is weird to see Detroit sitting second in the division. I will eat some crow. I had them seventh in my preseason prediction. So you're welcome, everyone. Um, and they're the best team in the Atlantic over their last 10 games. They're 7-2-1. and one. Uh, Boston six three and one, Toronto's six two and two. Um, Red Wings have one of the best goal differentials in the league as well, which you know you can debate the merits of that, but they sit fifth in the league in in goal differential. I I don't think that's nothing. So it's uh, dare I say, uncharted territory for uh, us and the Detroit Red Wings at this point in the season. You know what? I'm actually glad you said that because it leads me perfectly into the question I want to ask. Is this the moment for you? The narrative changes because for me, it is. I've been saying all season, all off season, if the Red Wings are battling for a playoff spot in April, it's a good season. It's a sign of progression. Looking at the gap between them and the wildcard teams and the teams sitting in ninth, 10th, 11th place in the Eastern Conference right now. If the Red Wings don't make the playoffs, it's a disappointment because they have built up such a lead that they'd have to play pretty poorly the way the rest of the way out to miss. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when has the mindset changed? I'm sort of the person who never believes they have it until it's right in your hands and you're you're walking out the door with it. Um so I'm not sure where I sit quite yet on that. I am definitely have changed my attitude from the team being seventh in the division. Um, but looking at the wild card standings, there's a lot of teams chasing the Red Wings who believe that they are playoff caliber teams like Toronto and Islander and the Islanders right now sit in the wild card spot. I would imagine Tampa still believes they are with Vasilevsky coming back. Uh, Capitals are definitely a bit of a surprise to me. I did not think that they would be hanging around quite where they are. Uh, the Devils, for example, are outside the wild card, and that it, 
The Flyers hold the divisional seed right now. Uh, Pittsburgh clearly thought that they were a playoff team. So there's lots of teams still in the mix. And the NHL is one of the most 50-50 sports in the world. I'm not sold entirely yet that the Red Wings are there, but that, I think that's more of an, an Evan thing than anything else. I need to, I need it to be the last day of the season with a comfortable gap before I'll believe it. I, listen, I didn't say I was comfortable. I'm just saying, I think my expectations have changed. Again, I don't expect the Red Wings to finish second in the Atlantic. I don't even expect them to finish third in the Atlantic. Second wild card spot, and I'm happy. They're playing playoff games, which would be huge for the Lucas Raymonds, most siders of the world to finally get that playoff feel, that respect around the league, that they are a playoff team and they've been there, done that only once, but you have to start. But again, I look at it. I don't know how the Islanders are in the second wild card spot now, four points behind the Red Wings with the same amount of games played. The Lightning are the ninth place team currently. The Red Wings have two games in hand on the Lightning. And that's big. That's big. And a four-point lead. The math, and I know this time of year, four points seems like nothing, but trust me, the analytics say it is a lot. What was it? Dom's model today. For the first time in the history of his model, Dom's model has the Detroit Red Wings at greater than 50% odds to make the playoffs. He's the one who does the pie shell thing, right? I think that's Money Puck. He has more chart format. Okay, so I saw. I think I saw the money puck one, and the Red Wings had a higher po- making the playoffs percentage than the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that definitely threw me for a loop, but also made me laugh a lot. Not only because it means the Red Wings, you know, statistically have a, a good shot of making the playoffs, but it's higher than Toronto, and that makes me happy. Anytime we get one up in Toronto, we got to take it. We t- absolutely have to take it. It's been so, so long. I was just thinking of sort of the the indicators I've had over this season, maybe last season in terms of, you know, when does the, the when do expectations start to become a thing for the Red Wings and it's for me it was always when do the other teams start playing their starters and we're now seeing that. The other one is, you know, the separation in talent between the Red Wings and the other teams. Previous years when the Red Wings would play other bad teams, it kind of just looked like a bad hockey game. It looked like team the teams are kind of even, you know, the talent was about the same, but then you'd play the good teams and be like, oh, this, the Red Wings have a long way to go. And then this year, like what's talking, for example, Buffalo, the Buffalo game, the Montreal game, you can clearly see there's a division and talent between those two teams. So that's another indicator that I've had that, you know, this team is going in the right direction or they've, they've made the progression into being a better team. Um, we'll see what the next one is. Clearly the standings don't do it for me, but uh, I'm slowly getting there and, and becoming a believer. And the Red Wings have done all this and are slowly making you a believer. And Patrick Kane hasn't played a game for them yet. Well, I was wondering how we were going to segue into that because we are on the Patrick Kane Eve as we speak. Um, obviously, we we didn't talk about it. He um, They figured he wasn't ready to go in Buffalo, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so he gets to start uh, his NHL debut as a Red Wing against the AHL Dynamo in the San Jose Sharks. So he's really doing the whole preseason prep, but in season, it, it truly is remarkable. Hey, the Sharks have been on a heater lately, as much of a heater as the 2023-2024 Sharks can be on. I think last time I checked, yeah, as of this morning, they were no longer last place in the NHL. Let me uh, quickly... That yep. is insane. The Chicago Blackhawks are now last place in the NHL. Oh, they can't get Bedard and celebrating. You know what? No, I'm not even talking about it. I'm no. not even humoring it. That just makes me sad. Last night felt a little symbolic, though, didn't it? I know Patrick Kane didn't play against Buffalo, but even him being in the building, in the Red Wings booth, after he had just picked, chose to play for the Detroit Red Wings instead of his hometown Buffalo Sabres, that's a pretty good indication right there of how 
others are starting to view the Red Wings versus competitors in the division? A hundred percent. He basically had the choice of where he wanted to go. He got to narrow it down based on his criteria, like health, uh, travel, uh, you know, what the team's projections are in terms of ability, contendership. Um, so it is, it is super weird. I think it will forever remain weird during Patrick Kane's tenure as a Red Wing to see him in Red Wing, a Red Wings uniform or be associated with the Red Wings in a good manner. I will never get over that. So tomorrow will be the strangest, maybe the strangest thing in podcast history when we have to do a game evaluation of Patrick Kane as a Red Wing. Well, uh, Newsy today said that the plan is for him to start on a line with Alex Dabrinkit tomorrow. So what are fair expectations for Patrick Kane in his debut tomorrow? Your guess is probably as good as mine. You know, there's so many unknowns coming back. You know, Nick Backstrom had hip surfacing surgery, but and tried to make a go of it. Patrick Kane says he's feeling better than he did last year, which would most people would have thought would be the opposite given what they heard about Nick Backstrom. 65 goals? I don't know. I don't Keep, know. Keeping the expectations modest, I like it. We all know what a defensive black hole Patrick Kane is, was, and will likely continue to be. But did you bring Patrick Kane in here to play shutdown defense or did you get him to be the showtime guy he is and score goals and and do crazy stuff? Exactly. It's like that scene from The Simpsons with Mark McGuire. Do you want to know the MLB's deeply horrifying secrets or do you want to see me hit some dingers? I want to see dingers. I pay good money to see dingers. That is the expectation of Patrick Kane. Realistically, tomorrow, I just want to see... This is going to be oversimplified, but I'm pretty sure everybody will understand what I'm getting at. I just want to be able to make sure he can move. I want him to not look like he's struggling around the ice. I don't care if he puts up any points. I don't care if he you know, is a result of a goal against or two. Ideally not, but as long as he looks like Patrick Kane, I'm happy. And and for the first couple games, I think that's really going to be my only expectation. Well, we, we sort of talked about it last episode, you know, it makes a lot of sense to start him at home because you get him in the matchups you want. You get him starting in the zones you want. You can really control and set Patrick Kane up for success because you have these sort of options to, to pull throughout the game. So, I have zero expectations for Patrick Kane tomorrow. Um, if he's, you know, looks like he's somewhat around game shape, you know, can make some plays, you can still see that the hockey IQ and the the playmaking ability is there. He'll find his way with whatever else you need to get him to do. I, I'm just extremely weirded out by the whole scenario as it is. So, uh, I'm going to just be a fan tomorrow and watch it like everyone else and not think that Patrick Kane's coming in here and putting up 80 points. All right. One final Red Wings topic before we get into the league news. Many countries have announced their either preliminary roster or uh, their camp invitees for the World Juniors. And there are a lot of notable Red Wings involved, so just a rapid fire through them. Nate Danielson is at Team Canada's camp. Trey Augustine is the projected starting goalie for the USA. Starter last year, no? I can't remember off the top of my head if he was the starter, but he was on the team. He is a returnee. So it's probably his job to lose kind of thing. That's how most people are talking about Augustine going into this camp with the States. As long as he doesn't do anything to lose the job or uh, the other guy goes absolutely nuts in camp, it's likely going to be his starter position. But I think the most intriguing team for the Red Wings at this tournament is going to be Sweden. Anton Johansson, who's been a bit of a breakout uh, prospect for the Red Wings this year, has made the team. But more importantly, the second coming of Eric Carlson Axel Sandin Pelica is going to be playing a very key role on a team many are considering to be the favorites in this tournament. Yes, I, you know, 
this isn't like some crazy thought, uh, but the guys I'm most looking forward to, but for all different reasons, I think uh, Axel Sandin Pelka, you know, his highlights have been all over Twitter. The hype is unreal with this guy. It'll be great to see what he can do on that Swedish team at that tournament, at that level, uh, hoping to see it all just continue. And I think maybe Nate Danielson and Trey Augustine for me, it's like, okay, we know these guys are good, but, uh, you know, will Trey Augustine steal games? Will he be the goaltender of the tournament? You know, it, it's, it's seeing what those guys are. Nate Danielson, can he stand out amongst an always stacked Canadian roster? Um, see where he matches up against his peers in his draft plus one year. So, those guys, I think I have different expectations for what I'm trying to see out of them. Axel Sandin Pelica, I'm I'm just aboard the hype train like everybody else. Yeah, I'm curious to see as an 18 year old what type of role he's going to be put in on that Swedish team because I've seen projections of him on the top pairing quarterbacking the power play, which for an 18 year old isn't insignificant. So the hype thus far in the season has been very justified. I'm curious to see what that hype can get to if he has a killer world junior tournament. Well, quite literally, the world is watching. While we're talking about the World Juniors, I'm sure you also will have a strong opinion on this conversation. Um, Hunter Prestevich left off the U.S. team, uh, not even invited to camp. He has one of the most impressive uh, D plus one um, defensive uh, stat lines I've ever seen in the OHL at this point of the season. He doesn't even get an invite to camp. I was doing some reading and I guess there is long-standing beef between the NCAA, the OHL and these sorts of uh, these tournaments and how they pick their players. So I guess he was once uh, a commit to, to U of M, University of Michigan, decommitted, went to the OHL and that left a lot of people in the, the, the U.S. hockey world with a sour taste in their mouth. He's left off the... Left off the camp invitee list. Uh, I, uh, I got Kristen, what your reaction is when you saw that as well. I mean, not only he's leading the defensive scoring race in the he's third OHL. in the OHL, I think, in scoring or something like that amongst all players. All players, yeah, yeah. He's he's like a point and a half per game or something ridiculous like that. Obviously, he plays here in Kitchener, so we we've got to watch him a ton. USA has a USA hockey has a long tradition of being very petty towards players who go to the CHL. And obviously every country wants to keep their players in their programs, but man, that one from a talent perspective is indefensible, but this, this isn't new. I mean, every country does it. Every country does it to some degree, but yeah, the U S has a long history of this. Hey, they stuck to their guns and they're biting their face despite their nose. But, uh, you know, it's, as a Canadian, I won't be too upset about it. Um, and you know what? This tournament, the World Juniors, isn't the be-all, end-all for draft-eligible or drafted players. Like, their domestic season is a lot more of a development piece than uh, a couple-week tournament. So, it's not the end of the world, but it certainly is a head-scratcher for me and... uh the petty qualms continue, I suppose. Hey, for us Kitchener Ranger fans, we're not complaining that we get to keep him on the roster for an extra month because anybody who follows the CHL knows what a feel-good story Kitchener is this year. Projected to be in a rebuilding year, miss the playoffs in a, in a league where there's 20 teams and 16 of them make it to number one in the OHL by a wide margin and top three in the entire country. So not yeah, losing rebuilding. Quite the rebuilding year for them. Yeah. yeah. Super I, young rebuilding hockey team, and they're probably the consensus one or two top team in the OHL right now. Yeah. Remember how I was uh, petitioning the Red Wings to take Carson Rakoff in the second round last year just because of his scoring talent? He's having quite the season. 30 goals in 29 games. It's December 6th. He has You know the last person already. to do this in the same amount of time? Alex Debrinkit. Alex Debrinkit. <laughs> 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 so many parallels back to Detroit, but um, yeah, the world juniors once again will be great. There's lots of undrafted guys who will be uh, interesting to see if they make their teams and sort of impacts they have. And there's lots of Red Wings focus once again. So in, in, in focus at 
very crucial spots and holes for the team. So um very excited for that to kick off. It's a tradition in Canada on Boxing Day to to strap in and watch the World Juniors, and this year will be no exception. All right, couple quick league notes before we get into overtime. The Board of Governors meetings is happening right now. Not a lot of on-ice hockey talk around these since it's mostly the owners and not the GMs. But one of the big pieces of news that came out is a projected $87.6 million cap for next year. Any significance to that in Red Wings land? Well, it's number 87, so I assume it has something to do with Sidney Crosby. So uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what sort of pitch they make him uh, in the offseason to get him to come over. Yeah, I know, I know there's been talks about potential buyouts and potential free agent signings floating around. I don't think the Red Wings are going to be a full cap team next year, but if Patrick Kane comes back and that experiment goes well and the Red Wings do make the playoffs this year, that extra, you know, four or five million dollars, whatever it ends up being for the Red Wings, that's a substantial player if they choose to use it. And that's why you need to manage your cap effectively, unlike a lot of other teams who are saying, oh, yes, we get $5 million extra in cap, but we still have to sign seven guys and we've got $12 bucks in cap space. So, you know, once again, fl- cap's flexibility is king. Even when the cap goes up, you're just more flexible. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I see the Red Wings really utilizing it. I think, you know, the way I view this team, it's, you know, time will sort of tell where it goes and what the right moves are. And, you know, as other teams become disconcerted with some of the the things they're seeing out of their team, you know, other players become available. As long as you've got the space and you can have the flexibility to make those moves, I think that's the right spot for the Red Wings to be in. I think the real answer here is that extra five, six mil, whatever it ends up being, is basically just going to absorb half of most siders raise. Yeah, exactly. It makes some bad or less than ideal contracts a little bit more palatable. Makes you signing guys for a little bit more money coming up, you know, not feel as, I don't want to say bad, but it's not as a huge of an impact. It doesn't really tie up your cap quite as much. Yeah, I don't really see this being a bad thing for the Red Wings. And one final thing before we jump into overtime, the NHL has ponied up. They have caved to old Jimmy Dolan. Draft at the Sphere in Las Vegas. Any optimism that they're going to utilize this properly? Uh, I just hope they have Gary Bettman's head on the outside and he's like doing some sort of weird like wink or something <laughs> during the event. I just, I need something. There's enough bald people in the NHL that they could put their face on it and it would work perfectly on the Sphere. There's so many ways they can do this. Will the Red Wings be able to pull this off? You know what? I can't say I you know what? I'm super excited about this. I think this is amazing. And one last hurrah before decentralization. I think this is the perfect spot. But I can't say that I have any trust that the NHL will do this properly because track record says they can't. Um, but my God, if they do, it'll be one hell of a time. Would it not be the most NHL thing ever to pay $12 billion to rent the space for a night just to have the sphere be a giant puck for three straight hours? Yes, it absolutely would be. They'd somehow make a puck spherical and it would just be this black outside on the, on the sphere. They need to swing for the fences with this one. I think they need to do, make, take some risks, do some, non-traditional things that they maybe would not have done previously with the NHL draft. I know we've talked about it before in terms of making it a week-long event, something more similar to like the NFL draft where it's a spectacle and you get the fans in, you make it exciting. Um, you hold things off-site in terms of, you know, conferencing, you bring in vendors, you bring in whoever to talk about things, just get engagement up. I think this is the perfect time to, to really accelerate the move into the decentralized draft i wouldn't be shocked if this was the first one that was decentralized because there's going to be a lot of logistics headaches with this short of a turnaround because normally they've had the venue and the draft and everything mapped out for a long time this is 
by NHL standards, very last minute. Yeah. So they're going to have to work very hard or they can just outsource this to companies who know what they're doing uh, or ask the NFL, for example, to just run their draft and take some lessons, learned notes from that. Um, but hey, it's exactly where we were hoping it would be. I think it's going to be a really, really cool time. I just really hope they can nail sort of the production and the entertainment value for it. All right, Evan, are you ready? I, I'm for what? I'm not sure, but I will say yes. Your big overtime intro. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) The font's only at 14, so we'll see how quickly I can read this. Um, Yeah, so uh, if anybody's interested in this, uh, Ryan is going to post the um overtime episodes so the specific dedicated episodes he's going to post them when they get back so uh, if you're wondering where those are do not fret we will have them uh they'll just take some time until ryan gets back to send those out um anyways overtime this week is brought to you by our patreon supporters as always if you want to join the dub dub club head over to patreon.com slash wingwheel podcast you can sign up there Gets you into our Discord, gets you um, into a lot of the extra entries into our raffles. It's a great time. We've got to connect with everyone. Um, the community is amazing. So thank you for all those who, uh, who support us there. So I was able to pull a few questions from Patreon. So we'll start with one from Glenn Brabham. He says, it's February 3rd in Toronto. For the first time in a long time, the Red Wings have multiple representatives at the All-Star Weekend. Who is making it as the NHL's selection and who's making it by the fan vote? Ooh, that's tough. Well, fan vote for the Red Wings would also be the most likely to actually get in to the All-Star game on merit. Still in Larkin. He's a shoe-in. So if we're going to go on the hypothetical that one gets in by merit and one gets in by fan vote, I'll say Larkin is in by merit. I could see Red Wings fans uh, rallying behind Mo Sider on this one. His popularity in the Wings fandom is immense, and I could I could see us all giving him his due. Yeah, I think those are those would be my votes as well. I think Moritz Sider has sort of that young millennial, well, whatever the next generation, the Zoomers, the TikTok generation. He's kind of got that energy. You can market to them a lot better than. Uh, what a Sidney Crosby could probably do. Um, although I would not belittle Sidney Crosby with the season he's having. Um, other than that, you know, I could see the Red Wings doing a Jake Wallman vote for sure, uh, especially with all the grittying that's been going on. So I'll say Jake Wallman would be my uh, my fan vote. The All-Star game is for the kids. It would fit. Yes, game. yes. Um, Matt says, Hey guys, I think we can all agree. We need to extend ghost or Shane Goss's bear as soon as possible. What do you think would be a good contract for both sides in terms of years and dollars? He'll be 31 to start next year. So I have to imagine he'll look at this as potentially his last shot to cash in. I worry about term being the issue that could cost us. And I'm curious how far you'd be willing to go with him. Oh, that's tough. I- I'm going to say Fair for both sides would be a contract in the three to four year range. Obviously, you traditionally don't want to extend a 31-year-old for too long. And the way things have trended over the last few years in the NHL, generally, they don't get extended beyond that length unless we're talking like superstar talent or the New York Islanders. I think, yeah, a contract that takes them to 35 somewhere in the four to six mil range is what I feel would probably be the middle ground between the two. He fortunately and unfortunately fills a direct position of need that the Red Wings have been looking for for a long time and has been having success at it. So for me, I strongly hope the Red Wings are able to get something done with Shane Goss's bear. I've liked him on this team a lot this year. I like what he brings. Um, the contract is where uh, where you figure it all out. Um, signing him to under the 35-year-old age obviously has a lot of benefit. He's going to be looking to make one last charge in terms of making money uh, at the NHL level. There's going to be some teams who are super interested in Shane Goss's bear, so I'm worried that the demand might drive up the cost. So I'm really hoping, you know, the 
the the points that he's put in with the Red Wings this year and, and has, enjoys his time in the organization has some merit when it comes to contract negotiation. But man, when if if a team backs up the Brinks truck, you can't fault the guy for taking it. It's kind of been a topic that hasn't been brought up yet, but you know between potentially Patrick Kane, Shane Goss, despair, Daniel Sprong. There's a lot of guys on expiring contracts that you probably want to keep around. So on top of making the playoffs, probably be nice to keep winning just to keep the vibes high going into the offseason and some potential contract negotiations. Yeah, you know, you want to continue the the momentum that you've built through this season. So, you know, it only gets more difficult. As you build a winning team, it only becomes more difficult because you need to pick the right pieces and keep the pieces where you can. So yeah, a lot of questions to be answered in this off season, um, but no less exciting. That's for sure. Uh, Dead aim has a question here. Now that Ryan is out of the way, I like that phrasing. What are your plans for WWP domination? How do you plan on removing the threat when he returns? <laughs> that is an excellent question. I haven't gotten that far because I've only just written down my notes for this episode. So, um, you know, I'm treading water, putting the tracks down as as I sort of play or going over the tracks as I place them down. So I haven't really thought about how we're going to eliminate the threat, but uh We'll we'll find. I'll think of something. This entire theory is backwards. Him being away from us is not helping us eliminate the threat. The more we are in a room with him, the more we can drive him up the wall. If Ryan ever releases the, we'll call them sealed recordings, the edits, the uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got a dead man switch basically, <laughs> pretty much of how much we can actually drive him up the wall. The further he gets from us, the health- healthier his mental status. You remember that Simpsons episode where uh, Bart and Lisa are at Camp Krusty and Homer's in the best shape of his life. His hair is coming back. He's like him and Marge's relationship has never been stronger. And then on the news, it comes out that Camp Krusty has had a mutiny and it's been taken over by the the the, the campers and... In Homer's head, he's saying, don't be the boy, don't be the boy. Or they're going to interview the leader and he says, don't be the boy, don't be the boy. And then it turns out to be Bart and he loses all his hair, his waist expands again. Hopefully that might happen to Ryan if he ever listens to this episode. (laughs) That that is the day he walks back into the studio after his, what I'm sure is very lovely vacation. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, last but not least, we got Beer League Defenseman. He says, can you explain the rules for face-offs and what refs are using to kick players out of the face-offs? I've been watching for some time now and can't quite figure out why players get kicked out when they do. There's actually a lot going on in a draw. I I have a bad habit of getting irritated with the linesman for, you know, phantom dropping the puck, but nine out of ten times, it's not actually their fault. So... First of all is feet placement. You have the hashes there that you have to be over top of. And if your foot creeps inside of it, you can get kicked out. There's the obvious if you swipe before the ref actually drops the puck, you know, call it a false start to steal an NFL term, term, you can get kicked out. There's also a rule about how the defending team has to have, like, so we're talking offensive versus defensive zone draws, has to have their stick down first because it's a, viewed as a disadvantage. And if they are not following that protocol, they can get tossed. So those are the three main things the linesman's looking for while he is setting up a draw. There's also when your the wingers are encroaching on the face-off, if they get warnings to move out, but they still encroach, it could lead to... Your centerman getting kicked out and then they send the non-encroaching winger has to come in and take the draw typically. So there's a lot of nuance, uh, some art, some science behind it. But yeah, those are the sort of the, the main ones that people pick on uh, over time as they watch the NHL or watch hockey in general. That's it for questions, Brad. We did it. We made it. Somehow, some way, we made it. And we're over an hour. I'm shocked. I had legitimate concerns this was going to be a 45-minute episode because Ryan does so much of the talking and filling the dead air on a normal episode. He does it well um, to make sure we're transitioning properly, getting out, hitting all the marks we need to hit, timely transfers through the topics. But 
somehow we've, we made it. Now we've we've consolidated down to do. We can keep going with two at this point. Ryan has has been removed. I was and I was telling. Remember how I was telling you? Uh, I'm sure people are picking up on it right now that Hanks and Crystal are out at soccer. So I guarantee at some point. During the episode, it's going to sound like a herd of elephants coming in through the hallway above me. Well, they're home now. So we got through the oh, perfect main timing. parts of the episode before it happened. But we apologize once again if uh, the audio is a little bit different on this one or uh, the, the it didn't flow quite the same. We are doing our best with what we have and it's not a lot. So uh, if you've made it this far, God bless you. And thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate We both appreciate it. All right, Evan, you got the list handy for our name level sponsors? Oh, absolutely. I do. All right. I just hope some of the barbecue sauce names are gone. and But we'll see. All right. So um, thank you to our listeners, our name level sponsors, uh, General Andy Bohan and the Cheesebag Army. Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cody Season Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstem, DJ Denton, D-Town Westside, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Fergus member of the Black Eyed Fergus member of the Black Eyed Peas, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love. Hassan Malkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Enland. Oh gosh, what's with all this syrup? I can't hold on to these OGs. It's everywhere. Oh, okay. You're, you're done. R.A. Uh, Red, Red there. Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube. That's what I appreciate about you. Woman's Elite, Dancing D, Eyes Are Playing Stan, Matthew M. Rice, Glenn Brabham. Thank you all for listening. We will see you uh, at the next Duo episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.